0: Hi everyone, Uh, it's a bit of a miracle we've managed to get the uh, live stream going this week as you know with everything going on with COVID and uh, we were losing people left, right and centre to further lockdowns and so forth but praise God uh, we've been able to make things happen Uh, and how wonderful is it that uh, even with everything going on we can still sit together and listen to God's Word. So let's pray before we leave this wonderful chapter of Scripture. Heavenly Father, uh, with everything going on this week, we pray that uh, you will be uh, calming our anxieties. Uh, We particularly pray for people who are especially impacted by the COVID situation, whether directly with their health or indirectly through uh, their work being impacted and all those things. Help us to trust you through this whole time. But Father, we do thank you for the wonderful gift of your word. And so we pray that you'll help us now to set aside all those things that might distract us and concentrate on understanding it together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every once in a while on my day off, Victoria and I go to the art gallery. I know that might... uh blow apart your uh, your perceptions of me but you can love sport and art at the same time uh, but it's generally we go there when there's like a special exhibition like a Monet exhibition or a European Masters or something like that but whenever I go to the art gallery I always take a little detour to go to that section where the permanent display is uh, because there are two paintings in particular that I always go and look at. I think I first saw them when we went on a high school excursion to the art gallery which is many years ago and they're both pictures of scenes from the Bible. So the first one is a picture of uh, David before he was king uh, and he's killed this massive lion, he's standing on top of it cradling a lamb in his arms, it's sort of a picture of him as the shepherd boy before he became the king. But the other painting is one that's going to come up on the screen and it's this picture of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of Sheba coming to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And it's just one of those massive, you know, size of a wall paintings. And it's always just captured my imagination. Uh, Now, you you can debate whether it truly captures the splendor of Solomon's palace and court that we've just been reading about in 1 Kings. You can certainly debate whether both of them would have looked like how they've been depicted here. But what it shows you is the way that this event in the Bible has captured people's imagination for thousands of years. And it's not just art, not just paintings, it's captured Hollywood as well. There's been Hollywood films about Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. A few weekends ago, I turned on the TV on a Sunday afternoon and there was this movie, we've got a snapshot from it, from the 1950s with Yul Brynner and Gina Brigida. They were the, you know, the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie of the day as Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Now, they turned it into a romance, of course, but the point is again, it's just this story capturing people's imaginations. And that is the thing this historical event has actually created a whole mythology that has massively impacted history. You mightn't realize this, but until 1974, when Emperor Hale Selassie was overthrown, the emperors of Ethiopia claimed that they were descended from the son of. King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Now, the Bible doesn't actually say that Solomon and the Queen had any sort of romantic uh, relationship. But Ethiopia always claimed they had a son, Menelik I, and he started the kingdom of Ethiopia. And there is no evidence at all to support it, as I say. But right until 1974, for about a thousand years, that's what they claimed. And then there's King Solomon's Minds. We're told in these chapters that King Solomon's gold came from the mines in a place called Ophir. Just look at chapter 9, verse 28. I hope you've already got your Bible open. But chapter 9, verse 28, it says, They went to Ophir and acquired gold there, 16 tons, and delivered it to Solomon. Ever since then, people have read that and said, 16 tonnes of gold, I want some of that. And they have wanted to find that place, to find King Solomon's mines. And it actually led to, to real exploration. So people have come up with all sorts of places, places like Yemen or Oman or India. Uh, and even when explorers went into the middle of Africa and found in Zimbabwe these archaeological ruins, they thought maybe we found King Solomon's mines. And as I say, real life explorers, Went into Africa, and one of the things driving them was maybe they would find all this gold and all this treasure. And it became even more popular when the biggest novel of the 1800s, sort of like the Da Vinci Code of 1885, came out and it was called King Solomon's Mines. This is actually one of my favorite books of all time. I make other people read it. I love it. It's by H. Ryder Haggard. I've probably read it 20 times. But I only share all this to say this passage has just always captured people's imaginations. And I want to argue that that is absolutely right. It should do that. It's absolutely proper because this moment, 1 Kings chapter 10, this moment is actually the absolute high point of the whole Old Testament. This is the pinnacle. This is as good as it gets in the Old Testament story. So you think for a moment, the, the, the Old Testament is the story of God fulfilling his promises to save the world. If we were here in person at this point, I would say to you, what are the promises God made to Abraham? And you would all call them out. And I hope you're doing that to your TV screen a, at home. God made these promises of a land and blessing and all these things. And his promise was that he would deal with the problem of human sin by saving a people for his very own. That is the nation of Israel. And from Israel, he would raise up a great king, a descendant of David. And then through his people and through his king, the whole world would come to hear about God and the whole world would receive God's blessing. Well, here is that moment in the Old Testament. Now, of course, we know that there is a even higher, even greater high point to come in the story, a greater king than Solomon. It's what the whole New Testament is about. But if you didn't know the rest of the story, we would think, "Is this it? We would think, "Is this everything God promised coming true? That's how big this moment is in our Old Testaments, how big it is in our Bibles. So let's get into it. looking at chapter nine and chapter 10, picking up from chapter nine, verse 10. Now if you remember, last week, Solomon has built the temple. So at last, finally, God's people are where they are meant to be. They are settled in the promised land, not wandering, homeless anymore. And God is right at the centre of it all. God is no longer in a tent. God's temple has been built right at the centre of their kingdom. And God has given them the great king that he promised, Solomon. So it doesn't get any better than this point. We have God's people in God's place under God's king. And if you remember back in chapter 3... God has given Solomon this incredible wisdom. But more than that, you might also remember, back in chapter 3, when Solomon asked God for wisdom, rather than what he could have asked for, all the money in the world, all the power in the world, all those things, God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you influence, all those other things as well. Well, what chapter 9 and 10 are, are God fulfilling that promise? They show God blessing Solomon and blessing his people with earthly blessings beyond compare. So that brings us to the first point tonight, which is Solomon's, or actually it's God's glorious kingdom. And this is chapter 9 from verse 10 and then the second half of chapter 10. So in chapter 9, what's happening is Solomon is making Israel great. He goes on this sort of building campaign, he's building cities and he's especially building cities on the key trade routes where everyone in the world of that time had to come through if they wanted to do anything. So all the other people around the place had to pay him to, to move around the place. Solomon was the king of the toll roads well before the New South Wales government got the idea. He was building his M7, his M5, his, his, his Eastern distributor. He was doing all that and he was just raking in the money. And then what he was doing was he was building fleets of ships to go out all over the world trading and bringing in gold, like we saw before, gold from all over the world. And so at this moment, for this, this one brief point, for the only time in history, Israel is the centre of the world. And if you jump over to chapter 10, jump to chapter 10 from verse 14, you see the result of all this incredible wealth and prosperity. So chapter 10 verse 14 says, the weight of gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons. We, we can't even visualize that. Just reading it though, you know it's a staggering amount. 25 tons of gold just funneling in to Solomon every year. And if you go and scan through the rest of the chapter from verse 14, just look at how many times you see the word gold jump out. It talks about gold shields. It talks about gold thrones, gold plates, gold cutlery. There's a great line at verse 21. It says, halfway through it, it says, there was no silver since it was considered as nothing in Solomon's time. You see, that just captures it, sort of like the billionaire who walks down the street throwing hundred dollar bills out because they mean nothing to him. Well, that's Solomon. It's a picture of indescribable wealth and splendor built on the back of the wisdom of God's great leader. Now, some people say this can't be true. They say it must be an exaggeration, but actually the evidence bears this out. There's a reason that after the kings of Israel declined, other countries loved coming in and raiding Jerusalem. It's because there was just so much treasure in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, as we read this, it raises questions for us about how we're meant to read it, is, is this a positive or, or a negative thing? It doesn't feel right that there's so much wealth in, in one place like this, it just doesn't seem to, to, to feel like it's the way it should be, it doesn't sit right with how Jesus talked about wealth and how we use our wealth. And yes, through it all, if you read carefully, you'll see the beginnings of Solomon's sin, you'll see the beginnings of Solomon's mistakes even now, uh, that sin that comes to a head in next week's chapter. But at this point, the picture here is overwhelmingly positive. This is God's work. God is doing this. Just look on your screen at 1 Kings chapter 3. It'll come on the screen, verses 12 and 13. This is where Solomon asked God for wisdom rather than wealth and power. And this is what God said. He said, I will therefore do what you've asked. I'll give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honour, so that no man in any kingdom will be your equal during your entire life. See, what this is, this is God's work. This is God giving Solomon these riches. God giving Solomon this honour. This is God showering blessing on Solomon and his people. Now, what Solomon does with it in the future, that's a different thing. But at least at this point, Solomon is giving God the glory and God the honor. There's a key verse in, verse in chapter 9. Look from verse 25. It says there, Three times a year Solomon offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them in the Lord's presence. So he completed the temple. See, what that's there to tell you is Solomon is doing everything right at this point. That's exactly what was meant to happen for the worship of God, according to God's Old Testament law at that time. God was at the center. It's probably one of the very few moments in Israel's history where God was at the center. God's king was following God's word. And so God was blessing him and blessing his people. God was getting the glory. Which brings us to the Queen of Sheba. This is my second heading tonight, which is God's blessing overflows to the nations. And this is that passage we read before, chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. So chapter 10, verse 1 says, The Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame connected with the name of Yahweh and came to test him with difficult questions. So what you've got here is a pagan queen. She she doesn't know the one true God. She's probably from what we call Yemen today on the Arabian Peninsula, She doesn't know God, but she hears about his king and she hears about his wisdom. But not just that, do you see there, she hears that this is connected to the name of Yahweh. So she comes to see what this king is all about. But more than that, she wants to know what this God is all about. Now, the difficult questions she asked wouldn't have been a trivia contest or anything like that. It would have included political wisdom, questions about how to be a great ruler, those sort of things. But whatever she asked, look at verse 3, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for the king to explain to her. See, Solomon does not disappoint. And her response, well, when she hears him speak, but more than that, when she sees Jerusalem, And she sees the way all the people of Israel have been blessed by God and blessed by this wise king. It says, look at the end of verse 5, it took her breath away. She's just overwhelmed. And then from verse 6, she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men. How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. May Yahweh your God be praised. There's so much in that and it's the key reflection of this chapter really. But the key point is the glory of Solomon and the the blessedness of his people and the splendor of Israel. And the glory and the wisdom of Israel's king, in the end, they lead her to give the glory to, look again at verse 9, may Yahweh your God be praised. See, the wisdom of God's king brings people to give glory to God. And the queen then puts her money where her mouth is. She she brings her wealth to God and to this king. Look at verse 10. It says, Then she gave the king four and a half tons of gold, a great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again did such a quantity of spices arrive as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. But then... You see, God's blessing flows back to her in even greater abundance. This is just blessings flowing everywhere. Look at verse 13. It says King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba her every desire, whatever she asked, besides what he had given her out of his royal bounty. People have taken that as an allusion to a romantic relationship. There's no suggestion of that. The point is, God's blessing of his king, God's blessing of his people of Israel, is overflowing to the queen, and overflowing to her people. And this story of the queen of sheba is written as just sort of one example of this. It also talks about king Hiram of Tyre with his gold and precious wooden stones, and it all gets summed up down at verse 23. It says king Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and in wisdom. The whole world wanted an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. So what you have here in this chapter is this picture, for just this brief moment of history, this is the picture of how our world is meant to be. See, firstly, you have God's people worshipping God like they are meant to. Then secondly, you have God's king on his throne. You have God blessing his people, just like he promised. And then finally, that blessing is overflowing to the nation's. See, this is how our world is meant to be. That's what our world is meant to look like. Of course, that is a wonderful picture of that one moment of history. But what does it have to say to us today? In what sense is it more than history? Well, I think it speaks to us in two ways in particular. Firstly, it's a word of prophecy for us. And then secondly, it's a word of warning for us. So firstly, the word of prophecy... Now, I don't want to steal next week's thunder, but I think we all know that this moment in history was all too short. This king fell, Israel ceased to be the light to the nations that it was for this brief moment. But what this little moment does is point us forward to the way the world will be when God's true king sits on the throne. It's only a shadowy glimpse Because you see, the reality is Jesus promises us a kingdom that makes Solomon's Jerusalem in all its glory look like a slum. We have a place in God's new creation that that will make all the gold in Jerusalem look like nothing. When Jesus returns, he will create a new heaven and a new earth with no sin and no pain and no death and no greed and with infinite glory. And there'll be no need for a temple because God will be right there in in the center. And all the gold and all the jewels in the world will look like nothing. You'll just brush them aside compared to the glory of God. And in that new creation, people from every nation will be worshipping him. See, that's the picture we have in the book of Revelation, isn't it? Do you remember a few months ago when we looked at Revelation chapter 7? We saw this incredible picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, seated on his throne. And look at what it says in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. It says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. See that moment, which is a picture of the heavenly throne room. That's what this episode is a glimpse of that perfect world where you will stand next to the Queen of Sheba and you will stand next to King Hiram of Tyre and you will stand next to people from Africa and people from Brazil and people will come and sit at the feet of God and of God's true King, our Lord Jesus. And all people, at least all people who trust in Jesus, all people will receive all of God's blessing. And the thing is, that is not just in the future. Jesus is seated on that throne now. And he has shown us the true wisdom of God already. He has come and he's paid the price for our sin. He has risen and defeated death. And Jesus has issued the invitation, anyone, wherever you're from, whatever your background, anyone can come to me and receive the blessing of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. It says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. See, if you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. And these blessings make Solomon's gold look like nothing. They're the blessings of forgiveness, the blessing of being adopted as God's children, the the blessing of a place in his kingdom. And I could go on and on. You can read all of Ephesians chapter one to get a picture of it later. See, we have riches that are far more wonderful than anything the Queen of Sheba saw when she came to sit at the feet of Solomon. And that is what you have if you trust in Jesus. So even if this is the high point of the whole Old Testament, it's just a dim shadow of what Jesus offers you. Every blessing and an eternal kingdom for anyone who wants to come and bow at the feet of Jesus. Do you want to know the one true God? Do you want to receive blessings you cannot even comprehend? Or come and sit at the feet of God's King? And if you want other people to share in that blessing, well, we need to bring them to the King, don't we? That's how people can share in the blessings of God. If they come to know Jesus like we have, we need to introduce them to Jesus. We need to show them his wisdom. You see, the picture of the New Testament is that we will be, the church will be, A light to the nations, like Israel was for this brief moment. The picture is that people will look at us, but they won't see our gold. They won't see our wealth. In fact, they'll see the opposite. But what they will see is your joy, because you know Jesus. What they will see is your thankfulness, because you know Jesus. What they'll see is a life that's full of generosity and a life that's full of grace, because you know Jesus. And they will then say, I want what they've got. And when they do, well then we need to be ready to give them the reason for our hope. That is, we need to point them to Jesus. He's the reason for our hope. Finally, I said before, it's not just a word of prophecy. It's also a word of challenge to us. And that's how Jesus uses this story. You see, Jesus brings up the Queen of Sheba. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. It says, the Queen of the South, that is the Queen of Sheba will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and look, something greater than Solomon is here. You might remember we looked at Matthew chapter 12 not that long ago. Jesus was talking to the Jews who were all hearing his teaching, they were all seeing his miracles and yet they would not follow him. They would not trust in him, they would not believe in him and he's saying, don't you know this pagan queen will condemn you on the judgment day because she could tell God's wisdom when she heard it and she could recognize God's king when she saw him and she was willing to cross a continent to come and listen to him well now a far greater king is here far greater than Solomon the son of God himself And he brings an even greater wisdom than Solomon. In fact, he is God's complete and final word. He has the words of eternal life. Jesus says, If the Queen of Sheba was willing to cross a continent to hear God's wisdom, how much more should you want to come and hear God's final wisdom, the wisdom of his son? See, the message of this passage, the warning of this passage to us is do not take Jesus for granted. That's the challenge of the Queen of Sheba. Sit at Jesus' feet as you read his word every day. Sit at Jesus' feet as you listen to it taught every week. That's the challenge of this passage to us. Do anything you can, like the Queen of Sheba. Don't let anything get in your way. Do anything you can to hear the wisdom of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you for the gift it is when we see the way your Old Testament points us forward to Christ and we thank you for this wonderful story and we thank you most of all for the way it points us to the fact that you have blessed your great King our Lord Jesus and through him you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing and we look forward to a time when he brings a new heavens and a new earth that will make Solomon's kingdom look like nothing in comparison. And so, Father, help us to follow the Queen of Sheba. Help us to be people who sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his wonderful wisdom. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.